If you have a Bible, if you'll take uh, your Bibles and turn to, with me to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible this morning, good news, we got one for you. Uh, if you'll look in the pews in front of you, uh, you can pull one out there. So as we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we've made our way through 1 Timothy. We are at the end. Uh, believe it or not, it's taken 17 weeks uh, for us to journey through this incredible book, a uh, sermon series that we have entitled For the Flourishing of the Household of God. It's been so important for us as a new church, it's a fairly new church, it's two years old, for us to really understand what is God's will for us. Uh, as we look at this incredible book of 1 Timothy, in many ways, it's like an owner's manual. It's like God had given to uh, the pen of the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy some instructions to how to run the church. Uh, he did it at a time where Timothy was in a, a city called Ephesus, and it was a long time ago. But the beautiful thing about God's Word is that it was empowered by God's Spirit. So we're going to read an ancient letter. We're going to finish it up today. But because of the reality of God's presence in His Word, it's, it's a word for us. It's a word for us today. This isn't just like an ancient like history lesson that we're going through a museum. Uh, this is a living, active word that is for us here today as a church and as individuals. And I don't know about you, but as I've made my way through 1 Timothy, this is actually in like 30 years of ministry, this is the first time I've actually preached through the entire book. I've, I've learned so much. I was like, man, this, is, this has been amazingly rich. Um, I hope it's been amazingly rich in your life as well. I know many of the leaders that we are training says, wow, what great timing this has been for us so timely as we train officers and leaders as our foundation. And this morning's text, this morning's text is kind of like a PS to a letter. Remember, this is a letter. Uh, this is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to someone named Timothy that he calls like a true son in the faith. It's a very personal letter. Um, Timothy was really well known by Paul. He journeyed with Paul. Um, Paul was there at his conversion. I mean, they had a, a great love for one another and a respect uh, for one another as, as well. And it seems like that last week's sermon, it should have ended. Uh, it should have ended with last week's text. At the end of that text last week, he says this, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. It's like a doxology. There it is. Um, I don't know if we write letters these days anymore. We probably send texts and emails, you know? Uh, and the, the PS of a letter uh, is probably just another text these days or another email. But this is like a PS. This is like the parting shot. Uh, in many ways, Paul has wrapped it up. And he says, hey, there's just a couple final words. There's a few final words that I just got to remind you before I close this up. I want to tell you some final words. And one more emphatic message to Timothy and to us. And so what we're going to see is this, three things. We're going to see the final word of grace. The final word of grace that, that is so important for, for Paul to make sure that Timothy gets. Grace. And then we're going to get the, the final word to the rich. Kind of interesting because through this letter, uh, Paul has talked to the widows. He's talked to the poor. Uh, he's talked to different uh, segments in the society. And now, kind of as a PS, he's going to say, oh, by the way, those of you who are rich in this age, I got something for you. And then he's also going to have a final word to Timothy. Oh, Timothy, let me give you this final exhortation 
So let's turn to God's Word as we find it. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to bring this to the close. Uh, some of you were saying, Amen. I get it. Uh, so uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for your faithfulness in journeying with us through this incredible letter that you have preserved for us in your word, empowered for us by your spirit, a letter that in so many ways that we need here at King's Chapel. It's like an owner's manual for the church of how we are to function to bring you glory, for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. You've given us this, and we're so grateful. God, thanks for the things that you've taught me. Wow, it's been so many things. Thanks for the way that you have shown me in this congregation the beauty of who you are and the incredible beauty of your son. And God, as we wrap up this sermon series today, we need Jesus more than ever. Oh God, would you come and speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds that would understand your word? Would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? And, oh, God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say that are just my opinion are wrong, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the grace and the, the gospel, the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. First thing we're going to see is the final word of grace. What is grace? We also know this. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor for sinners like us. It's God's grace. Our God, listen, you, we all need to hear this. Our God is gracious. Our God is merciful. Yes, he's holy, he's strong, he's true, but our God is, is abundantly gracious, abundantly merciful. And that grace and mercy is something he always leads with. Can you imagine if God led with his wrath? Can you imagine if God led with his holiness? I mean, I mean, we would all be toast. But by God's grace, what he leads with is grace and mercy. He's going to say, listen, morning by morning, new mercies we see. Great is his faithfulness. Our God is a God of grace. Do you know him? And so here you have this uh, 1 Timothy, this letter. It begins and ends with grace. 
It's, it's a letter that's going to be filled with exhortation. It's a letter and filled with imperatives. Timothy, do this, don't do this, avoid this, embrace this. There's a lot of do's and don'ts in this incredible letter. But sandwiched in all these imperatives, sandwiched in all these commands, sandwiches there's grace. This letter begins with grace. It ends with grace. Let's go back to the very beginning. Hear the words of the beginning of the letter in 1 Timothy 1. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. First word, grace. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace. Grace became the Christian greeting. It's very interesting. Uh, for many of the Christians, they were Jewish folks who came to embrace Christ as Messiah. And for a Jewish society, the greeting was peace, shalom. Have you heard it? I'm sure you have heard maybe those even today in the Jewish tradition. They often use that word shalom, peace be with you. And that word is very, very rich. It means more than just a little peace. It may, may all things be harmonious. May all things be right. May you have peace with God and peace with one another. What a great greeting that they had. So the Christian church kept that greeting, peace, but they preceded it with grace. Grace. Grace be to you. No matter what happens, may you be filled with God's amazing grace. May you be in awe of a God who meets you where you are. May you be in awe with the grace of God who will love you exactly where you are. Grace to you. God's grace to you. That is how it began grace to you. No matter what I taught you, no matter what we've gone through, may grace always be with you, Timothy. May it be for you. And may it lead you. Grace to you. And that's how he's going to end. He ends with the word grace. Timothy, put my arm around you one last time. Grace to you. First Timothy begins and ends with God's grace. Well, that makes sense. Because watch this. The Bible begins and ends with God's grace. It does. It's the Bible's God's story. It's, it's history. It's, it's his story told to us. And from the beginning to the end, all we see is God's grace. In the beginning, God. What a great start. By the way, the story is going to be all about God. He is the one, the hero. It's going to point to him. In the beginning, God. And godly, God graciously creates all things out of nothing. Man, it's incredible. The power of his word. He speaks everything into existence. And God graciously created the heavens and earth and all things. But of all the things God created, you know the grace of God that he made you and me, male and female, in his image? He shared with us, unlike anything else in creation, his likeness to be known by him and to be loved by him and to know him and love him. And this incredible grace of God that was poured out on every single one of us that we represent him in all of creation, that we are, we are different, we're better than, than creation, and even as cute as dogs are, and, and we are greater than the trees. I mean, there are those who say, no, we're just like everything else. No, no, we're not. We are very different to creation. As, as God is set apart from creation, he set us apart from creation, and says, listen, you're, you're my capstone jewel. I love you. You're made in my image. And I, I made you in that image to have incredible grace, grace to rule and reign from the, for us. And so God has given us a, a commission. He made us in his image. He's going, hey, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with my glory. It's all yours to enjoy for my glory. And you know how many chapters it took us to mess up? Three. 
But we see the amazing uh, grace of God when we rebelled and said, we can do it our own way. Forget God. Let's do it through Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion. And God said, because of that brokenness, guess what? There's a curse on everything. And death has entered the story. But our holy God, how does he deal with sinful man and woman for the first time? With grace. Oh, yeah, there was consequences. And for everything, everything was broken because of it. But you know how gracious God is, even when we fell into sin? You know what God would do? He'd immediately provide. What he would provide, he would provide a covering. You read chapter 3, and you realize that man's rebellion, and what, at the end of the chapter, what does God do? He provides garments of skin to cover their nakedness. Because of the reality of their sin, they realize, uh-oh, we're now exposed before God. We're sinners. We're exposed before one another. We've got to be covered. So what does God do? He covers them. He covers them, and how does he do it? He takes an animal, and he sacrifices it. And you have this atonement. You have a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins as a beautiful foreshadow of the gospel of what God will do for sinners and cover us with a substitutionary uh, atonement of another that will ultimately be his own son. And he would cover us with the blood of Christ and clothe us with his righteousness. You see, the Bible is filled with God's grace from the very beginning, even at the fall of man. And not only would he provide for us a covering, he'd provide for us a promise. Because of our sin, everything was cursed. But he says, you know what? You can't fix it. It's so broken. It's, it's, it's you guys, unable to fix this. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to send a seed. I'm going to send a seed that's going to come through a woman. And this seed is going to defeat your enemy and mine. He's going to defeat Satan. He's going to defeat death. And the seed is going to come to set you free. And God provides a promise to, to reverse the curse all by God's grace. And how does he do it? Jesus becomes the curse. Jesus lives that perfect life. He dies our uh, death that we deserve. And he absorbs the Father's wrath. Why? To turn the tide so that the curse is now reversed and life can be reigned. You see, the Bible begins with grace. The Bible crescendos with grace. I mean, it, it reaches its peak, its apex. It crescendos with God's grace that Romans 5, 8, God's going to demonstrate his own love for us. Now watch this. While we are still sinners. He doesn't say, clean yourself up so I could love you. Get things right so I can set my favor and affection upon you. I mean, do the right thing so eventually I could come and rescue you. No, no, he says, while we're still sinners, while we are lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, God's grace was greater. Then I'm going to send my son. I'm going to demonstrate unbelievable love to give a gift that none of us deserve. I'm going to send to sinners my son. What a crescendo of God's grace. And the Bible ends with grace. God graciously will close history with a new heaven and a new earth. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more brokenness. Don't you long for that day? And here's what it says, that the dwelling place of God is with man. We'll be with him, and we're going to be home. He will forever dwell with us, the grace of this, and we will be his, and he will wipe away all our tears and sorrows. You see, Timothy begins and ends with God's grace. The Bible begins and ends with God's grace. Christianity begins and ends with God's grace, right? I mean, this is what happens. By God's grace, we're saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of, of work so that no one can boast. 
If you love Jesus, it's by God's grace. If you are his, it's by God's grace. It's not because, hey, I joined a church, or hey, I'm better and more moral than my neighbor. We are all, we make it because of the grace of God and the faith of the one who is righteous and true. Christianity begins with God's grace. But we can't forget, Christianity continues the journey by God's grace. Something happened in the church in the Galatians. Um, they said, okay, we get it. We, we, we get to start salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. But if we want to get home, we got to be circumcised. We got to keep the law. And we got to start doing some other things. Let me, let me ask you a question. Do you understand that you are saved by God's grace alone? There's no other way. And secondly, do you understand that the Christian journey continues by God's grace alone? Many Christians have the wrong belief that once you're in the door, now you work like crazy. Now once you're in the door, now it's up to you. You earn this. Make sure that you earn this sacrifice. Make sure you do the right thing. Now God cares about what we do, but we continue by God's grace. So Paul will church, write to the church in, in, in Galatians, and he'll say this, uh, Galatians 1, 3, Oh foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's our hope. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? Did you become a Christian by doing Christian uh, religious things or by God's grace through faith? You got this by God's grace through faith. Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? What he is saying is this. Our Christian journey, every step of the way, is by God's grace. We miss it. My brothers and sisters, God wants you to have an incredible freedom as we journey. He wants you to know that, that this whole thing is God's grace. And it's going to end in God's grace. Um, Philippians 1.6 says this, that he who began the good work in us, he will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Let's, let's stop. Who started the good work in us? God did. It was by his grace. And what's going to happen? He is going to complete it. Does it say you're going to complete it? I'm going to complete it? No. He's going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So is our salvation ultimately rest on our works from start to finish or his works from start to finish? It's all about him. It's all about grace. Let me drive it home one more time. Remember this. It is never our grip on God that saves the day. Never. It's his grip on us. There's going to be days that your grip is loose. There's going to be days that you, you act like you hardly know them. There's going to be days that you're a knucklehead and you're going to wander because sheep wander. And there's going to be days and the Holy Spirit will remind you of those days and you should lament for your sin and you should turn from them and you should run to Jesus. But don't you think for a minute that your salvation is based on your works for one nanosecond. It's based on Christ Jesus alone. Christianity starts, continues, and ends with God's grace. Why? Because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of grace. I want you to hear the Gospel of John. Gospel of John starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through this Word of God, and, and He is the light and life of men, and nothing that was made that wasn't made through Him. And this is this Jesus, this is Jesus, this is God's Word, He's eternal God, He's fully God, and it comes to verse 14, it says, and listen, the Word put on flesh, and He dwelt among us, God became man, this is Son of God, Son of man, in verse 14, and it says these words, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among 
among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father. And let me tell you what he's full of. You ready for this? He's full of grace. He's full of grace. Oh, he's full of truth. But he's full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom it was said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Watch verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Where does the grace of God find its way throughout to us? It finds its way through Jesus. And the fullness of his grace is poured upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Christianity begins, continues, and ends with God's grace. Because why? Jesus is the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega of grace. The one who is full of grace and truth. The one who will receive, that we receive all grace upon grace from. Jesus, do you love him? Do you know him? Do you have God's grace in Christ Jesus? And then he has a final word for the rich. He says, those who are rich in this present age, riches are temporary. I love this. In this present age, is going to tell us something very important. Those of you who have a lot of stuff, it's in this age, you got to know there's something else that's happening that we have to be aware of. And it basically says this, don't let riches be your identity. Don't be haughty. We've all seen it. Those who have money think that they're better than those who don't. They have the tendency to look down on their, their noses at those who don't, those who are poor. They want to say, get a job. Can't you do better than this? Look at me. And God is saying, listen, if in this world you got stuff, in this world you have riches, and by the way, as Americans, we have stuff and riches, no matter where we are. Some are on a different scale than others, but I guarantee you, all of us, incredibly, are, are considered rich. Don't let riches be your identity. If it does, it'll make you feel superior to others, and you should never do that. Not only that, don't let riches be your security. It says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Set your hope on God. So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, don't let your stuff be your identity. I want to be your identity. Don't let your stuff be your security. I'm your security. I have you now. I'll have you tomorrow. I have a secure future for you. So you, your, your hope should rest in Christ Jesus alone, not, not in what's in your 401k or how the market's doing or how your bank account's doing or how you are. I mean, those are important things, but they're not ultimate things, right? And so that shouldn't be your hope. Uh, man, I just make sure that I'm, I can have enough before we retire. I want to make sure I have enough to send the kids to school. I want to make sure I have enough. God's going to provide for you. He knows your needs more than you do. Your hope should be set on him, not on riches. Your identity should be set on him. But I love this as, as well. It says this, enjoy riches with God's blessing. I love the fact that he doesn't say this. Those of you who are rich in this world, divest yourself from riches. Get rid of it. You should be ashamed of yourself for riches. You should get rid of it all because God doesn't love the rich. It doesn't say that. I love what it says. Those of you who are rich in this present age, make sure that you enjoy the riches with God's blessing. What does that mean? God richly provides us, it says, with everything to enjoy. He doesn't say, just dump it all. But riches have to have their right perspective. You have to know that everything you have came from God's hand. You have to be thankful. You have to give thanks. You have to keep perspective. As I was studying this, I was just thinking, you know, for those of us who are parents, think of Christmas morning. And maybe you stretch for a gift for your kid, your beloved child or children. That, that was a lot. 
and you give it to them, and they open it up on Christmas morning, they're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe it. I was hoping for this. This is fantastic. How do you want your child to respond to that gift? Do you want them to say, you know what, I don't deserve this. I'm not going to play with it. I'm not going to really, I'm going to feel guilty that I got this. I'm going to feel, oh, geez, my neighbors don't have this. Um, This is different than other people. How how would you want your child to respond? You want them to say, Mom and Dad, thank you. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. I think that you would have delight as you watch the beloved child play with something that you've given to them. And enjoy it. Get on that new bike and tear it up. You know, I mean, I mean, enjoy it. And so here's our God in, uh, in heaven. He, it said through this book, listen, he doesn't want us to, to, to not enjoy life, even sexuality and marriage, e- even the things that he's given to us. Enjoy them. Go to the beach. Have a phenomenal time. Be blown away. Enjoy good music. Enjoy a great red Merlot. Enjoy it, but in moderation, and make sure you're always giving thanks. I love the fact that's where he is and how he tells us to enjoy Enjoy the blessings of God. But he says, but more importantly, be rich in good works. I love it. You want to be rich? Be rich in good works. The rich are to do good. They're to be rich. Remember, we're not saved because of good works. I made that point clear. God's word made that. But watch this. But we have been saved to do good works. We're not saved by them, but we're saved to do them. Listen to this amazing passage out of Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we those in Christ. We are his workmanship. It's like a masterpiece. All of creation is, but we're his masterpiece in Christ, right? Watch this. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we should be rich in good works. We should be taking what God has given to us to bless our neighbor, to love our neighbor, to empower our neighbor. In scripture, God gives to be a blessing, always. God empowers to empower others, always. God doesn't give, so it all turns on us. He gives so that we are an instrument of his to be a blessing to others. Be rich in good works. Do you have stuff? Man, support people. Love them. Don't, don't, don't do it grudgingly. Do it with joy. God's allowed you to bless, be a blessing to others. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, and don't do it so you're seen, but be a blessing. You know, it's interesting seeing your faces because some of you are really, really good at this. Some of you are so rich in good works. I celebrate Jesus in you. Some of you just can't help but blessing others. And I want to point a few out by name, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm really close because some of you need to hear and be more like them. (laughs) Be generous and share. God is lavish. He's lavished upon us his love. He's lavished on all these things to enjoy. Be generous. Christians, we should be generous. We should be sharing. And you should be really good tippers. For the love of God, tip. I think I told you a story recently. Somebody went up uh, to a wait wait staff and said, uh, hey, by the way, are you a Christian? Yes, I think I am. Okay, I'm a Christian. And listen, I only give God 10%, so I'm not giving you more. So I'm going to give you 10% here. I'm like, oh, gosh. I want to go behind that guy and say, I'm so sorry. I'm not sure that guy's a Christian. You know, I mean... God has lavished love upon us. Let's lavish love upon one another. And again, I know it's something minute, but we should be generous. We should be generous people. We shouldn't be misers. Why? Because everything we have in Christ is secure, and he's going to give us everything we need. And if we're holding on so tightly, it shows that our faith and our trust is not in him. It's in this, right? 
I mean, the most generous people on this earth should be those who have a citizenship in heaven. It's those who have an identity that's secure in Christ Jesus. It's those who don't believe that riches is their identity or their value. And they want to use their blessings to be a blessing to others. They're generous. Because God has been generous to us. And they're givers. And they give of their time, their talent, and their, and their resources. They give God back his tithes and offerings. They trust him. They trust him. With their, let me tell you, that's where you're going to stand with God. You want to always stand open up your checkbook. Do we have checkbooks anymore? Check out your Venmo account. Whatever you do to get your money, look there and just say, where do I put God in my life? Are you supporting any missionaries? Is there anything you've done for a charity? Is there, is there any ministry you're coming alongside? Is there, what are you giving to the church? It'll tell you what you value. I promise you, it really will. And you'll, you'll see. And you just, it's a great litmus test. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you. I mean, I'm going to tell you, it's all about grace. But we should be generous, and we should share, because our God is. Invest, give to those in need. Um, I, I love what the proverb says, give to those in need when it's in your power to do it, when they deserve it, right? So who are those who deserve it? Watch this. If they're an image bearer of God, they deserve God's grace. That's how I see it. Hey, it's a person. They deserve something. So I know that there's a wisdom there of, of you know, you don't want to empty out all you have to the person on I-4. I'll let the Holy Spirit lead you, but I know this, you've got to be generous and you've got to give. Um, all right, invest in future gains. Store up treasures and a good foundation for the future. Uh, it's basically saying, invest for the future. Why? Because your citizenship's in heaven. Uh, invest with an eye on that future. And then there's this now and not yet of, of, of riches. Can you hang on with me? I'm almost done. I know I've given you a lot. But I really don't want you to miss this, all right? Deep breath. Don't look at your watch, Bill. I got plenty of time. The now and not yet of riches. When we have Jesus as our Savior, watch this, we have life now. We take hold of that which is truly life. Verse 19, which is truly life now. Do you know that John 17, 3 says this? Do you know this? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ you have sent. What is eternal life? It's a relationship with Jesus. It's not something that starts when your heart stops beating. Eternal life is something that Christians have now. It's something that we enjoy now. Christ Jesus is the light and life of men. Now, today, in Christ Jesus, we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. He has shared his riches with us. We have life right now. It's so good. I know and love him now. I hope you do. But there's more to come. The best life isn't now, no matter what someone might tell you it's not because Jesus isn't here yet so we live as Christians we live in this now and not yet this now where life has begun it's, it's important it's good but there's struggle and there's pain and there's angst and there's sorrow and there's brokenness and we don't get it all right and there's this now blessing but it's not fully here and there's more to come so we live in this tweener world that's where we are now now we have God's life in Christ Jesus now we have eternal life now we have forgiveness now we are his beloved sons and daughters in Christ but not yet fully because we still have cancer we're dealing with and we're still wrestling with prodigal kids and we're still trying to mend marriages that are so broken and we still have a corrupt world in which we live it's not yet fully here the new heavens and new earth hasn't come so we live as tweeners we enjoy life now that he's given us and we long for the life to come and that's where the true riches will come in the age to come in Christ Jesus. God has given us strength for today, life for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. 
And then he has a final word for Timothy. He says, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the faith. Guard your faith. Be careful. We live in a dangerous world out there. They can tell you you're crazy for following Jesus. Guard the faith. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit that was given to us. Avoid irreverent babble and false knowledge. Dig into the word. Don't get caught up in the babble of the day. And oh my goodness, do we have babble in the day? Wow. Depends on what channel you want to listen to, what babble they're going to give you. But you want to make sure that you're listening to our great God. Don't swerve from the faith. The final word, grace. Grace. The final word, Jesus. He's enough. Live out these final words and you'll find life and life abundantly. You're going to find life and life eternally. Hey, a P.S. Let me just remind you of these final words. God's grace is amazing. Use your riches to honor him and guard what God has given to us. That's it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, thanks for guiding us through your word. Thank you for all the things that we've learned through 1 Timothy. And thank you that the word ends with the word grace. May King's Chapel be a place that starts continues and ends with God's grace. God's grace in Christ Jesus. But God, may those of us that you have given riches to in this present age, may we honor you and may we be generous and bless those around us. And God, may we be guard what has been entrusted to us, the faith, the gospel. May this place be a place that's true, that's faithful to your word. And may we proclaim it boldly for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.